this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Stephen and Silvio from Algorand. Algorand has a proof-of-stake protocol, the first of its kind, according to them, to support the scale, open participation, and transaction finality for billions of users, all backed by sustainable business and a renowned team of experts. Now, let's talk about some of those experts because they're pretty phenomenal. Silvio McCauley has been a a member and faculty of MIT Electrical Engineering and Computer Science Department since 1983. His research interests are cryptography, zero knowledge, and uh, secure protocols, um, and is a co-inventor of probabilistic encryption, zero knowledge proofs, verifiable random functions, and many of the protocols that are the foundations of modern cryptography. Now, Stephen also has a very interesting and profound career. Stephen is the CEO of Algorand, responsible for overall business and vision. Um, he's a serial entrepreneur and most recently the co-founder and executive chairman of Fuse, where he was responsible for corporate search strategy. Under his direction, the company transformed the way enterprises view collaboration as a key driver of business visibility process improvement and results. Fuse has over 700 employees now and servicing over 1,500 enterprise customers. And so this team came on today onto the show, onto Base Layer, to talk about Algorand and one of the things that we talked a lot about is the trilemma. Um, the trilemma, for those that don't know, is can you have blockchain that has security, scalability, and decentralization? There have been conversations that you kind of have to maybe give up one of those. Maybe you have to give up security to get scalability and decentralization. Maybe you have to give up decentralization to get to scalability and security. Well, according to Silvio, and he's been at this for 40 some odd years, you don't have to do that. And they actually feel that they've kind of cracked the code on this and they have a system out there that could uh, really be interesting to a lot of people. I'm not going to talk much more about it because I want you to listen to the show and I want you to listen to Silvio and to Steven and let you get a sense of what they're doing there. So again, remember nothing on base layer is investment advice. Please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear the show with Silvio and with Steven. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have a great, great show for you guys today. Stephen and Silvio from Algorand join us today. If you don't know what Algorand is and you're in crypto, I would be shocked. I would really, really be shocked. Uh, but if you're not in crypto and you want to learn about some of the, you know, one of the newest and one of the best, you know, kind of groups out there that is working on a huge problem in regards to scalability and some of the other kind of issues regarding blockchains, this is going to be a great call for you guys to listen to. So uh, if you could, uh, one of the things that we'd like to do both for you, Stephen and Silvio, um, if you could, we'd like to get just a little bit of a background on you both. Um, I know you're both very accomplished uh, in your respective spaces. And so for us, can you set the table? Can you give us a little context? Can you give us a little bit of background? And then one of the things that I'd like to do on the show is that a lot of people talk about the origin story. They 
you know, were reading the white paper and they fell and they fell into Bitcoin. They did something of that nature and they fell in love with uh, cryptography. They fell in love with blockchain. Now, I know, Silvio, you're a little bit different because you've had years and years and years in, in the space. But what really prompted you to say, this is where I want to spend my professional career and I want to really make an impact. So we'd love to hear a little bit about that. Oh, sure, David. Um, so let's see. I've been, in fact, a, a cryptographer for decades and uh and uh, suddenly I succumbed to the temptation of learning about Bitcoin and uh, I came out with, <laughs> from this uh, learning curve uh, with uh, two realizations. Uh, first, it is a wonderful problem and second is uh, a very inelegant uh, solution. And uh, because somehow criticizing is, is easy and I decided to say, well, how would I do it? And so I locked myself for a few months and I uh, came up with um, um, uh, an initial design based on um, uh, first principle, from, uh, new principles. And then uh, we got very excited and uh, uh, I was very lucky to um, bump into Steven and we brought the best team uh, we could to bring uh, Algorand uh, to success. And Steven? Uh, so, yeah, I, I um, so I, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh, Algorand is the fourth company I've, I've been lucky enough to be a part of. Um, prior to Algorand, I was co-founder of a company called Fuse, which is um, a uh, video and collaboration platform. Uh, it's about a 700-person company today um, and started several kind of internet and infrastructure companies. And for me, um, I you know started to get interested in uh, crypto and blockchain uh, and really felt that, that, that the dynamics um, were the most similar to anything I'd seen since the early days of the internet. Uh, and was fortunate enough through a, a, a common friend and, and now investor um, to be introduced to Silvio and, and you know, thought the work that he and others were doing was, was fascinating. And um, you know, I think we were fortunate enough to uh, have kind of driven the project forward from there. So it's, it's been exciting for sure. And so We'd like to do this for the listeners as they are family offices and high net worth and institutional investors. We like to start off slow. So then we're going to go into some deeper questions and we're going to go into things like the trilemma and we're going to talk about, you know, security, scalability and decentralization. And, you know, I heard Silvio talk at MIT and maybe you have to throw one of those out to get everything that you want, but I don't think you guys are thinking that way. Um, and I think you're actually thinking quite oppositely. So what is Algorand? And then, you know, I really kind of want to dig into why is it necessary given other proof of stake protocols? Well, um, let me start with proof of work, which was the first approach. And the proof of work has some inherent limitations. First of all, is very slow you can produce a block every 10 minutes. Why? Because uh, it is uh, any time that you have, uh, uh, you, you add a block to the blockchain by solving a complex or uh, cryptographic riddle. And if you have two solutions a few seconds of each other, then you have a fork. You no longer have a chain, but now you have a, a fork and one of the two branches of a fork has to die eventually. And so that is not a good outcome. And so by spacing winners every 10 minutes, you minimize the number of forks. You cannot eliminate them, but you minimize them. So it is a slow and it's expensive because to ensure that so many people who try, so many miners who try to solve the complex cryptographic riddles to earn uh, some Bitcoins and, and add a, a their block to the blockchain, 
So you must have a variable to be very, very complex to make sure that you have one solution every 10 minutes. So you spend a lot of money in electricity and equipment and everything else to produce the blob. So now, if you, now you have a system which is slow and expensive. Now, expensive and fast, it is easy justifiable. And expensive and slow, it's hard to sell. And uh, furthermore, anytime that something becomes very costly, like mining, uh, in proof of work. So, so you have a fewer and fewer people who can actually part- participate. And uh, right now, the blockchain of Bitcoin, say, is controlled by two or three miners, uh, mining pools, rather, and uh, so is uh, quite centralized. So slow, expensive, and centralized, that perhaps you, know, you need a different approach. And in fact, new approaches have been uh, uh, found and proposed, and uh, but they have difficulties on their own. Uh, one um, uh, usual candidate is um, delegated proof of stake. But uh, what does it mean? It means something very simple. You take 21 people, say, and you put them in charge, and you elect them to select the block on behalf of everybody else for uh, a sizable amount of time. And uh, is this decentralized? Hell no, at least if you ask me, any system that puts in charge at 21 people cannot be decentralized. Um, so therefore, um, you don't even have the pretense of a decentralization. So, and then there are also bonded uh, proof of stake and other, uh, and other approaches, but each one of them, somehow centralization or uh, scalability problems uh, arise. So essentially in every blockchain uh, seen so far, you have either a centralized system, uh, you either sacrifice a, a decentralization, or you sacrifice security, or you sacrifice scalability. And in fact, um, uh, there was a, a, a conjecture uh, stated as a fact of the so-called trilemma uh, that it was impossible to achieve decentralization, security, and scalability in the same blockchain. And that's what Algorand does at this proved. I noticed that your comments on proof of stake, I actually kind of, I took them to heart when I was listening. Um, you basically put up a, a pile of cash on a table and it's basically held hostage. And then if you're deemed to be a bad actor, it's basically set on fire. Um, it's interesting because everyone's been talking about the move from proof of work to proof of stake, especially with Ethereum. And they've been talking about the benefits of proof of stake for the environment because with proof of work, it's been considered very um, intensive uh, for obviously for energy. Um, and so it's just, it's an interesting world that we're living in right now. We're actually seeing all of these things happen in real time. We're seeing this, this innovation, this, all of this, uh, this movement happening in real time. It's really interesting. So Tell us exactly what, you know, in terms of if you could give us what is Algorand at the very core of it, you know, for people who, you know, are starting to understand what the Bitcoin blockchain is, they might have an understanding of what Ethereum is, they might understand what proof of work and proof of stake is, hopefully because they've been listening to the show. What is Algorand doing to solve those problems? Well, let's put, uh, uh, let's summarize the prior approaches by saying the following. That uh, prior approaches uh, uh, are based on the following uh, uh, questionable uh, assumption: the the system is secure, the whole economy is secure, if and only if a small piece of the economy 
works honestly. And now if you look at it, that's a kind of an opuzzling, right? So if you're a puzzle, you are right to be puzzled. Because uh, what is this small piece of economy that must remain honest for, say, a Bitcoin to work? The miners. What is this piece of, uh, of economy that has to remain honest for uh, the delegated proof of stake of work? They, the delegates themselves, the 21 people. So what is the, the small piece of an economy uh, whose honesty is necessary for the whole economy to work in a bonded proof of stake? The people who put hostage some of their money in the middle of a table. So whenever the security of, of the whole depends on the honesty of a small piece of, of the system, you have problems. So what Algorand does, essentially, he works on a different principle. Same the whole economy is secure if and only if the majority of the economy is in honest hands. And that's, a, in some sense, a much better um, uh, approach, I, I believe, because you know, um, uh, whoever owns the majority of the money, say, in, in a cryptocurrency, in, <laughs> and does not have the incentives to destroy uh, all, all the, the money it takes. The same is not true when you talk about the people who control, say, uh, a percent or a few percentages of, of the money, because they can actually make the whole for their losses in some other fashion, and uh, you can actually find and bribe them into becoming a collaborator, collaborators to bring down the old system. But in Algorand, only the majority of the stake can cause the collapse of the system. And that is a totally different principle. And so the other systems, proof of work, proof of stake, delegated proof of stake, proof of history, other ones out there, all have a consensus model. And so I've found that Algorand is using consensus via Byzantine agreement. And if I'm not mistaken, Silvio, that was actually developed in the 80s. And I think that's an important point. Um, I've tried to bring this up on the show before for, again, a lot of the investors out there who are starting to kind of peek into the box and see what's here. This was not all started in 08, 09 with the proverbial Satoshi Nakamoto. This was done years and decades and decades of research and practice and experimenting. Um, Silvio, obviously, you were in the, in the midst of that as well, too. So what is consensus via Byzantine agreement? And talk to us about how it was developed in the 80s and how it's being used now. All right. First of all, um, 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 uh, Byzantine agreement is the strongest uh, uh, form of consensus uh, that there is. So essentially, you have uh, if you have a majority, a bunch of people, uh, the majority of which you know follow the protocol, then all the people who honestly follow the protocol, they are going to agree on the same thing, no matter what the uh, the minority, uh, the malicious minority, could do. And so that is a very, very strong notion. And uh, the only problem of this notion, which was, as you said, uh, developed in the 80s, is that it was not practical at all. The protocols for Byzantine agreement were uh, very, very slow. The number of people who needed to reach uh, Byzantine agreement in a, in, a, in a practical system were three or a dozen. And so that is not something that you know, scales up to a blockchain when, uh, with billions of people. So, in fact, the proof of work you can find is uh, essentially a, a weakening of, uh, or, 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 or a very, of the notion of a Byzantine agreement, which uh, 
it, it becomes over time slowly, 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 slowly converging to uh, agreement to bypass this uh, somehow extreme intensity, computational intensity of uh, traditional Byzantine agreement. So the first thing that we need, needed to do at Algorand is to redesign completely Byzantine agreement so that it's actually super fast and you can conduct you know, in a few seconds on a planetary scale. And the way somehow Algorand works, uh, uh, think of it, uh, David, it works in two magic phases in which the magic is actually replaced by mathematics, but uh, uh, the magic is a bit easier to speak about it. And so think of it, it works like this. So that, you know, some um, a token is uh, chosen at random by magic, and uh, the owner of the token is going to propose a new block to add to the blockchain. End of phase one. Phase two, a thousand tokens by magic again are selected at random among, among all the tokens in circulations, and their owners become publicly known by magic, and they reach Byzantine agreement on the block proposed by the first user. So, and then, and, 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 and then if the agreement is reached, when, you are, you, when the agreement is reached, you add the bit block on the blockchain. So why do you need uh, two phases and the first phase is not enough? Because in any society, and a blockchain is no exception, you're going to have a percentage of bad actors. Maybe 1%, maybe 10% in a very dangerous society, maybe 20%, but not you know, the majority of society, right? Because after all, a society is but a, a group of people who, who, whose majority follows a rule. If nobody follows the rules, uh, there is no society whatsoever. So if you select somehow a user at random and you live in a dangerous society, well, with probability 10%, if you are living in a dangerous society, you, feel you, you, you put in charge a criminal of proposing the block. And what can such a criminal do? He can tell you the block is X and can tell somebody else the block is Y, generating confusion rather than a chain of certainty. So that's why we have a, a second committee, or think of it a committee of a thousand people, who somehow reaches agreement on what the first person has said. And now, in a thousand people, you have actually very much guaranteed to have an honest majority because if 90% of the people are honest, you know, well, a thousand people, the probability that 501 are malicious, randomly chosen, is very, very slim, almost non-existent. That's how somehow Algorand works. Of course, what the technical question is, well, who selects these people, right? Certainly not me, and certainly we don't have a joint discussion to select a thousand people, otherwise we'll never stop discussing. And so what you do have is um, a special cryptographic lottery that everybody realizes is fair and uh, somehow the winners, uh, believe it or not, uh, run each one of them is on lottery. And uh, they, only the ones who won, they show the winning ticket and you say, here is I'm part of the committee and here is my opinion about the block. And so that's why uh, how it works. The lottery takes a microsecond, so it's very easy to run. So you convene a committee of a thousand people immediately. Mm -hmm. And the good part is that an adversary would love to corrupt the committee, but beforehand does not know whom should corrupt, right? Because it's a lottery, 
Sometimes you win, sometimes my aunt wins, sometimes a uh, lady in France or this gentleman in Thailand, in Thailand is going to win. So I do, the adversary doesn't know whom, which 1,000 people should go up. But after this 1,000 people show their winning ticket and come up from the woodwork to say, I won the lottery and here is my opinion about the block, at that point, everybody realizes who they are, including an enemy, an adversary, but at this point, corrupting them is useless because whatever they had to say, the winning ticket and their opinion about the block is already virally propagated through the network. And uh, corrupting them at this point uh, does not put back in the bottle whatever they just said. So the system essentially is secure because beforehand an adversary does not know whom to corrupt and after the facts, it's too late to corrupt them. And so I'm curious, um, in terms of kind of thinking outside of the box, um, you know, let's assume that you have solved the trilemma. So you have solved the security, the scalability, and the de- de- decentralization issue that you have all of your goodies in a bag and you can eat them all too kind of what's next what what's you know obviously this has been an issue that a lot of people have been trying to solve over the last few years what's next yeah sure uh and so i i guess if you look at you know uh, what a platform like algorand represents i think um at a basic level um we believe that uh public permissionless networks will win out i.e anybody can join uh we don't have any control over who joins uh, and they can be used by the public really as a, a resource. And you know, when you think about um, public platforms, uh, you know, I think one of the interesting things about blockchain is, is that um, you know you, you need uh, not only a, a public network, but you know, we also believe that you need economic management um, of a currency. And you know, I think that's something that's still being being contemplated. Um, but in my, our mind, uh, you know, that means that you need diversity of financial instruments. In there, so we think of really kind of three things. Um, one is, you know, continuing to innovate and evolve the core technology. Um, Silvio has just recently published um, a, a roadmap of the next six, um, all very interesting and, and necessary technologies that we think layer on top of kind of the primary protocol. Um, the second is thinking about how we put the right um, primitives, the right plumbing in place for developers. Um, and you know, one of the things that we've really uh, looked at is simplicity. Um, today, only about 200,000 developers um, are building in the blockchain space. But there's over 20 million that aren't. And uh, one of the things that, that um, we've really observed is that um, simplicity um, in terms of the way uh, libraries are written, the way people can leverage existing tools and really build hybrid applications is going to be very important as new developers enter the market that may not be um, as uh, interested in in understanding all the details of, of the core technology, um, and but want to know that a platform like Algorand exists and, and does solve kind of the inherent problems that are, are uh, difficult in computer science here. Um, the other is we think that increasingly um, digital assets will take many different forms, um, and there's a need for you know many different types of uh, financial instruments uh, that people will want to kind of bring online and bring into the decentralized world. And that more broadly, what we're creating is a decentralized economy uh, and that there'll be multiple, very different kinds of participants um, that need to have uh, agreements with each other. And that you know, the blockchain is very good at both verification and generating proofs. And you know, we're really leveraging, leveraging its power in that way. And so I think just like um, you know, the Algorand protocol itself really represents a novel approach, um, you know, the way we're thinking about 
um, creating a diverse financial ecosystem and economy, and really um, enabling developers uh, to use the knowledge they already have um, to create um, decentralized applications and uh, really new types of assets is, uh, is what gets us excited. And what we found is that there's a lot of uh, developers and a lot of companies out in the market that have been trying to bring um, their ideas to life, but because of the scalability or other concerns with other platforms, haven't really felt that they'd be in a position to do that. And so, so we're really excited uh, to launch the platform and, and um, you know, start to see some of those applications, um, you know, get out into users' hands and, and also hear feedback from the market on, you know, what's needed and, you know, what sort of the next, uh, use that to help inform kind of the next wave of innovation that we drive. So getting into that, um, there's been a lot of uh, buzz about Algorand this week. Um, and so we'd love to hear kind of what's been going on there. There is now uh, a Dutch auction and we'd love to hear kind of how that came about, how that's a process. I have not seen other systems out there, Bitcoin, Ethereum, none of these others have really seemed to do that. Explain a little bit, if you could, just about what that process looks like and, and why you guys decided to do that. Yeah, uh, so we're really excited about that. And I guess just to kind of um, explain how uh, our ecosystem works a little bit, um, Algorand Inc., which is the U.S. company where um, Silvio and I sit, um, is really focused on research and releasing open source software. Um, the Algorand Foundation, which is based in Singapore, um, is who announced uh, the launch of the public Algorand network or public network based on uh, Algorand software. And uh, there's pre-launch scheduled um, for next Wednesday, the 12th, and uh, then uh, the first auction um, from the Algorand Foundation will happen on uh, June 19th. And uh, you know, one of the things uh, that was uh, sort of considered early on is is that uh, at Algorand we didn't want to pre-sell any tokens in the market. Uh, we and also uh, the Algorand Foundation feels strongly that that um, they shouldn't be responsible for determining you know what the value or price of the token is. And uh, using Dutch auctions, which is similar similar to what um, uh, you know many central banks use uh, for bond pricing and whatnot, which is a, uh, a form of auction that uh, wins at the lowest price that can be a lowest price that clears the auction um, based on the bids. And uh, and so we think that that would be an interesting um, experiment. Uh, but one of the things we also believe is that it gives every user uh, who requires tokens um, to power their applications. Um, or uh, needs tokens to be able to transact uh, an equal shot um, at getting them and ensures fair pricing for, for all. And uh, one of the additional uh, elements um, that's part of the foundation's auctions um, is that uh, there is a refund policy uh, that comes along with those tokens um, where users have a year to transact with them and after uh, that period uh, have an opportunity to come back and, and uh, receive a refund for up to 90% of the value um, provided. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of thought has gone into um, how not only, uh, you know, the, the network and underlying uh, underlying protocol works, um, but also how we create an environment um, for users to come in and uh, use the system for a variety of purposes um, and perhaps, you know, avoid some of the, uh, the issues that have, have uh, um, uh, have existed for, for other folks in the space. So 
imagine this all works. Because to this point, it seems that a lot of this has been theoretical. Um, a lot of people have been trying to get this to work, and obviously Bitcoin has been now working for 10 years in the system. Um, you know, There are obviously issues with that, with transactions per second and scalability and other issues. And then Ethereum obviously you know, moved to create a, a newer kind of, uh, kind of system, especially with smart contracts. And then we've had lots of other different iterations. We've had people trying to really figure out how to use these things, and I say these things, blockchains. So if this works, if Algorand works, and we hope it does, what happens in five years? What, what, are, what are the use cases? How is this going to start to be used out there? And I think that really helps people visualize how this could potentially have an effect on economy, on society. How does this, what happens in five years? Sure. Well, I'm just uh, before I answer that question, I just want to back up for sort of uh, and address sort of the point of, of whether this works and, and sort of what some of the use cases might be. Um, we just published a blog uh, on our, our website yesterday, um, sharing some of the um, throughput, um, transactional data, uh, and also a number of use cases uh, in terms of how people are using the tech. So that I was a that, leading question. <laughs> that might be uh, so. That might be interesting um, to people. I think if you take a step back, though, at you know sort of the market in general, I think there are, are a lot of uh, dynamics out there right now, um, and definitely we see uh, questions as to um, whether kind of the big tech companies that are the incumbents today um, are who people want long term to be stewards of their information, of their personal information. And I think there's been other trends, just sort of demographically, uh, that are maybe somewhat lesser known. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, there were 40 big banks in the United States. Uh, today, there are four, and the four command twice the money that the 40 did. Um, so there's been, you know, concentration and centralization in, in a lot of different areas. And I think when you couple that with the fact that, you know, over 2 billion people in the world um, don't have access to modern financial tools at all, um, this is a way to really um, democratize uh, finance at a scale that, that hasn't really been seen before. Uh, and I think when you, you kind of... Um, juxtapose that with the fact that um, 6% of all GDP in the world uh, is lost every year in the form of transaction fees. Um, you know, there's a tremendous amount of, of wealth creation that simply isn't happening. Uh, and so we think that that definitely there's an opportunity to uh, reshape, you know, big swaths of, of finance and the way people transact today, um, especially as the world becomes a more global place. And, uh, you know, I think some of the, the lines um, between kind of uh, you know, where people are transacting get blurred. Uh, and I think, you know, really, if, if you look at um, the world the internet created, you know, information flows freely uh, virtually everywhere, uh, but any sort of financial transaction and money really carries a lot more friction with it. And so I think at a, some very basic level, you know, we see an opportunity to really uh, reshape that. So getting towards the end of this, you guys are obviously really busy. You you obviously had released that uh, that paper this week, and uh, I encourage people to check it out. And you're also now, you know, there's the Dutch auction, and you guys are obviously quite busy over there at Algorand, and I believe there's more information coming out next week, so we'll obviously be keeping our eyes and ears open for that too. Um, so with that, we hope that Silvio... And we hope that everyone in Algorand uh, comes back uh, and joins us, you know, again for, you know, giving us an update on how, what's happening over there at Algorand. Um, it's a really special project. A lot of people, as I mentioned before, are starting to pay attention to it. Um, and so one last thing that I'd like to always ask people is, you know, if there's any place that, you know, I know, you know, you have a, a great website and there are things that you can do, but Stephen, if there's any place or Sylvia, if there's any place that people could p potentially, you know, a primer or something that 
for less technical people, can they read about uh, kind of what Algorand is doing? Um, is there a place that you can then uh, point them to? Yeah, I th well, I think one um, great place is to go to our Medium section uh, or our Medium uh, area in Algorand and uh, site and um, uh, take a look at the information there. I also would encourage anyone uh, who has time uh, to watch uh, any one of Silvio's videos. I think uh, while Silvio's modest, one of his great gifts is being able to take very complicated topics um, and break them down simply so that, that anyone can understand. And I think Agreed. a really quick way to, to understand. So um, definitely, I think those two areas um, would yield uh, a lot of information for anyone who's interested in learning more. Agreed. And again, I'm going to let you guys go because you guys are real busy these days. So this was Stephen and Silvio at Algorand. This is a project and you definitely want to check out. A lot of people are paying a lot of attention to it. Um, and if they've been able to, and it sounds like they have potentially solved the trilemma problem of scalability, uh, of security and decentralization, this could be something pretty big for a lot of us. So again, thank you guys for joining us on Base Later. We're going to hopefully be able to check back in with you in a few months and see how progress is going. And again, thank you for joining us on Base Layer, guys. Take care. Thank you, David. Thanks, David. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash Layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter. Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage, at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, market commentary, videos, and more.